Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? What's your favorite scary movie? What's the prime time, bitch? You're scary. Why haven't you checked the children? Good evening, Slasher fans. We are here, as always, with a brand new episode of Slasher Studios Horror Podcast. As always, I'm here with my co-host tonight, Andrew. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Not too bad at all. Um, have you seen any uh, new horror movies since the last podcast? No, I don't think so. I mean, probably. Like, probably. I'm not going to lie. I probably have. I've just been so busy and so tired lately that if I did watch something, it was like in one eye and out the other. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely know what that's like. I finally got a chance to watch Honeymoon. How how was it? I liked it a lot. It was, it was, it seemed like it was going to be a standard kind of supernatural tale, and then there was so much dark humor that for those of you guys who haven't seen it, like I would, I would highly recommend it, especially if you like your horror movies a little bit offbeat. But really, the less you know going into this, probably the more you'll like it because it just gets like crazy like halfway through. Yeah, I think that was one of the ones I picked up during um, filming. I just never actually – we didn't sit down and watch it. Yeah, because it's now on Netflix, and I, I definitely recommend it. It's at, at the very least, it's a good one-time watch. I don't know if it's necessarily one that I'll – I'll watch again anytime, like, soon. But it's it's very interesting. It definitely caught my attention. Oh, yeah. Well, that's cool. I'm definitely interested. So are there any horror movies that are coming out in the near future that you're excited for? Well, I'm going to go see The Lazarus Effect, probably, for sure. I mean, there's nothing really coming out, so that's definitely on the agenda. How about you? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's one of those big weird things where, like, I'm still trying to get caught up on all of these movies that from 2014. That I mean, I, there's no reason why I haven't seen The Babadook yet. In fact, I got my hair cut the other day. And, like, the girl that was, like, cutting my hair is like, oh, have you seen The Babadook? Like, it was really creepy and, like, it really scared me. And, like, I felt like that I should have gotten, like, my horror card taken away because she had barely seen any horror movies and she had seen it and I still hadn't watched it. But um, I still have that on my list. I still need to watch um, Housebound. Uh, there's, like, all these movies I'm still oh, Housebound is... Up with. Housebound oh, is really good and... Oh, Housebound is really good and it's on Netflix right now. Oh, nice. So you should definitely catch up with that tonight. Yeah, I will definitely check that one out because I've heard nothing but good things. Like, it's it's definitely been on my radar for a while, and I, I'm I'm excited to kind of check it out. Yeah, it's definitely a fun movie. Like, it's really entertaining. Oh, nice. 
So um, some news from us. Um, we now have uh, T-shirts for Dismembering Christmas that we currently have on pre-order. Uh, we have 50 T-shirts total. Um, we're getting them printed out. Um, they're actually really cool. Check out the design on com or the Dismembering Christmas Facebook page. Um, they're green and they're red, so they're they're Christmas themed. You can wear them all year round. Um, I'm actually really excited to get them. Um, we should be getting them uh, either the 10th or the 11th of March. So I'm hoping to have them out in the mail um, for those of you guys who pre-order for uh, Friday the 13th. So really excited about that. Um, pick up a T-shirt today and um, some news about uh, we should be having a teaser trailer release sometime very, very, very soon. Um, so we're really excited about that and kind of as as a bonus or as a gift, whatever you want to call it, but just kind of a thank you for the support. Um, if you're either uh, if you were either a backer on Kickstarter for the film or you're a backer on our latest campaign, our Indiegogo one, which we're still raising funds for for a Blu-ray release, um, you'll actually get to see the, the trailer a day early um, before we release it to the public. So become a backer if you haven't done that yet. Uh, we're really excited with that. I think you guys are really going to like it. So, yeah, just a lot of really good, fun, dismembering Christmas news. So, yeah, it's nothing but good stuff. I know, that's super exciting. I can't wait to see the trailer. I know, I'm really excited too. I, I mean, I think that, I don't know, we got so many good visuals and so much good stuff going on that I think that people are really going to like it. I hope so. I really do. I mean, I think people will love it. Like, like this is like kind of my reaction with the movie, and granted, I'm completely biased because I've been involved right from the very beginning, but I can't see anyone checking out a film with this title and this synopsis that aren't going to at least get what they paid for. And I'll kind of leave it at that. I'm not going to say too much more than that, but um, if you want a Christmassy slasher, I think you're really going to have fun. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the cast and crew, we put our hearts into it. And, you know, the thing of it is, is you'll be able to see that on screen. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, we're just really excited to hear what you guys have to say about it. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. So make sure to like the Dismembering Christmas Facebook page. Also on Twitter, the Slash Studios website. Um, check it out for a bunch of um, new updates. Um, there's a bunch of really cool 35-millimeter pictures that we've been posting. Um, big shout-out and thank you to Sean Kelly for taking those photos. They look amazing. I especially really like the black and white ones. So, Check out the Facebook page. Um, posting a couple of those each day, so check those out. Like them, share them, do whatever. Um, but yeah, thanks for the support. So jumping right into oh, our yeah, the- show tonight. Oh, what were we gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say those those photos are really really awesome. I mean, I keep like seeing new ones, and I just get so excited because I'm like, oh, I remember that. Yeah, a bunch of. Yeah, it's really funny, too, because I've been chatting with Sean on Facebook, and he'll send me a photo, and he'll be like, can I share this one? Is this one okay, or is this too spoiler-heavy? And I've actually got to see a few of them. I'll have to send them your way, but some of them that I we definitely can't share, at least not yet, but they look amazing. <laughs> oh, nice. 
But yeah, um, so yeah, lots of gory goodies going on with that film. And as always, we're here talking about a new horror topic each week. For the next two weeks, possibly more, I don't know if there's any other directors we're going to want to cover, we're talking about two uh, kind of very influential horror filmmakers the next two weeks. This week, we're talking about John Carpenter. Next week, we're going to be talking about Wes Craven. And we're just going to be kind of doing a rundown of a bunch of their films. Um, Some of these are masterpieces. Some of these are very good films. Some of these are watchable films. Some of these are not so watchable. So we're going to be kind of just running the gamut of just all of the things that uh, these guys have done. So we're going to kind of jump right in. I guess before we kind of run down the list for kind of John Carpenter and movies he's done, um, what are your impressions of him, like, as a director? Like, if if you see that John Carpenter has directed a film and you haven't seen it before, going into it, what, what are kind of your expectations knowing that um, he's a part of it? Um, I'm pretty much always intrigued. I feel like even his kind of worst movies are better than most movies that other people have done. (laughs) I've always liked John Carpenter and I think I always will. So I'm always on board. Yeah. I'm kind of right there with you. Um, The thing about John Carpenter is that even when he makes a bad film, and there's a number of films that he's made that definitely are not very good, um, they're always very visually interesting. He knows how to frame a shot. Um, He hires some excellent cinematographers. Like, he definitely knows what he's doing behind the camera. He makes really good use of the frame that he has. Um, Several of his movies are in anamorphic widescreen, which um, are the big black bars, top and bottom, um, in case you guys didn't know. Um, so yeah, they're they're just very they're very theatrical. Whether it be score, or the cinematography, they're just kind of have that flair that's kind of missing from horror today. You know, you don't kind of have that that grand um, kind of feeling anymore that you got with um, some of the old school uh, horror directors like John Carpenter or um, even like Dario Argento, like where it was just like, okay, well we're just gonna we're just going to make this so visually interesting and just kind of so occasionally just over the top where even if the story hasn't intrigued you, there's going to be something on the screen that it will at least be pleasing to the eye. Oh, for sure. And the thing of it is, is now everything's like oversaturated and like jump scares and well, not jump scares. Um, I mean, jump scares have always been there and John Carpenter uses them too, but um, jump cuts and, like, shaky cam and stuff like that, whereas he's very, um, I want to say deliberate, and he holds yeah. shots for a really long time, and, I mean, I just, I, 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 I prefer him aesthetically. No, I'm right there with you, and I think that it, it does come down kind of to what you said with the jump cuts, you know, nowadays, especially with kind of studio filmmaking, they feel like there has to be a cut like every 20, 30 seconds or you're going to lose your audience's attention because they think that all audiences are completely ADD, which some of them maybe are, but 
it sometimes it sacrifices a good story just to kind of say like, okay, we're going to show another shot here and another shot here. And so I think that that's part of the problem. And I think another part of the problem too is that we don't have the time anymore that goes into movies. Like back in the the 70s and 80s, even for a low-budget film, you would have at least 30 days to make a movie. Um, Sometimes even 40 or 50 if you had a fairly decent-sized budget. And I'm not even talking about, like, lots of money. I'm talking about, like, maybe, like, 8 or 10 million. You know, you might have, like, a 50-day shooting schedule. Nowadays, you're lucky if you can get 20. And for the low-budget films, sometimes, you know, it's, two weeks and you're done. And if you don't have what you need, you got to have to make it work. And I think that's part of it right there too, where jump cuts come in handy because you realize that shooting schedule is so tight that you didn't have time to get all the footage and all the coverage that you needed. Oh, for sure. And I mean, especially nowadays, it's 90% of the people on um, these like new horror movies and stuff are all on TV shows and stuff like that. So it's um, it's way more difficult um, to do all the schedules the way that they used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you definitely don't have that kind of, you know, like what we had where it was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, we're going to have the cast and they're just going to stay on location for two weeks and, you know, we can just pick and choose when we need people. Uh, yeah, you don't really have that anymore where it's, okay, well, you have this actress for three days, you got to make it work. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we can jump right into our list of John Carpenter films. Um, she's done a lot of movies um, outside. Uh, we're not really going to touch on many of the, the movies that he's done that aren't horror-related. He's, he's one of the few horror directors that's actually done several films that don't really fall under the horror genre. That's kind of rare. Um, you don't have that so often. Um, like Wes Craven next week. I think that the only movie that he's done that doesn't have any horror or um, thriller elements would probably be Music of the Heart, which, I mean, that's really strange, but that, that's a whole other conversation. We can talk about that next week if we want to. But, um, yeah, so we can jump right into the first movie on John Carpenter's list. It's the fantastic and just masterpiece Halloween. Um, Halloween, we've talked about on the show before. Uh, it's just, it's a phenomenal film. It's it's well shot. It's well edited. It's got a great uh, time and place to it. Um, overall, so it you know it, it takes place in the Midwest at Halloween. It's filmed in uh, California, I believe, in March. So you know you have like the whole story of you know having you know you had a bag of leaves and you know you had to kind of pick them up and it was just kind of those kind of filmmaking stories that I always find really interesting. But it creates a memorable madman. It creates a memorable final girl, and it just it's one of those things where it gets all of the thing like it's like the, the the slasher checklist that we talked about before where it's you know, do you have this, do you have this, do you have this? And then you have this incredible score too that you compose. It's it it's a movie that works on all of these levels that's so rare and it's 
it's interesting to see all of this come together in one film before the slasher genre even really had rules or a following. Uh, it really started that um, and really kind of brought it to the mainstream. And for that, you know, as a slasher fan, I just have to say thank you because if it wasn't for Halloween, we wouldn't have gotten probably 90% of the slasher films we did, especially in the 80s. Agreed. I mean, Halloween, as much as I love Black Christmas, and Black Christmas is also a classic in its own right, it was not a huge success. And if Halloween hadn't come along, um, we wouldn't have the slasher boom. We wouldn't have Friday the 13th. I doubt we would even have A Nightmare on Elm Street or any of the other numerous, like, amazing and not-so-amazing slasher movies that came out post-Halloween. And, I mean, you have to thank them for that. And, yes, some parts are cheesy, but all in all, it's still a pretty intense, suspenseful film. And it holds up much better than that abortion called Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> what? Well, I like Rob Zombie's <laughs> Halloween, but that's a discussion for another show. Um, I completely agree with you on all of your points, all besides that. But uh, a thing that I think is very interesting about Halloween is that although Black Christmas came before it, it actually came out four years before Halloween, it never got a wide release in the United States. I actually don't even know if it played in the the United States in theaters. I believe it was a Canadian-only release. But if it wasn't for Halloween, that movie probably would have never gotten a VHS release in the 80s. So it's almost like this movie that came out afterwards is part of the reason that this movie that came out four years before it is a success. And it's, it's kind of ironic in this weird way, but I'm happy to have both films. You know, I, I don't think that, you know, there, there's certain things that I like about one film more than another but they both have so many great strengths and they both, they're just, they're phenomenal movies and they're movies that, you know, pushing on 40 years later are still very suspenseful and still are are pretty scary. Absolutely. So yeah, um, moving on to the next film. (laughs) Um, Moving (laughs) on to the next film on our list. um, We had actually a made-for-TV movie that John Carpenter did after Halloween. Um, This was after, I believe, if I remember this story correctly, um, you know, this was after he made Halloween, and really, studios and stuff, like, they they knew that he kind of, you know, made money on this film, but they didn't really know what to do with them. So he pretty much took his job on making this uh, made-for-TV film called Someone's Watching Me, um, starring uh, Lauren Hutton, as well as Adrian Barbeau. Uh, Lauren Hutton plays this woman who moves into this um, uh, apartment complex. Um, it's this beautiful, um, you know, just kind of this almost a loft. And she starts getting these strange notes and these strange presents and these calls from somebody that's, it's the title, Someone's Watching Me, that lives um, across the way from her, and it's just kind of obsessed with her. And there's one really, really, really good shot 
that comes about two-thirds, no, maybe three-quarters of the way through the movie. That's so suspenseful. And the first time I watched this, I actually didn't see this until I was an adult. I don't know if it ever got a release um, until the, the DVD box set came out. But it actually made me jump because I wasn't expecting it. And it's just really good. And uh, Adrienne Barbeau, this is kind of her her first um, big movie role, although it was made for TV. Um, very much ahead of its time, she plays a lesbian in this movie, which literally it's mentioned for one line. It's dropped. Lauren Houghton thinks nothing of it. Um, it's just really nice to have that kind of character that's not like, okay, well, she's a lesbian, so everything has to be about her being a lesbian. And it's just the, the chemistry between those two are really good. The suspense is really good, especially for a made-for-TV movie. I highly recommend this film. I think it works really well. It's actually one of my favorite Carpenter films, and I'm glad that I finally got a chance to watch it, um, even if it was many years um, after it came out. Yeah, absolutely. I remember seeing it on DVD, and like I think I watched it right away, and I was super into it. Um, I don't remember a whole lot of it, because it's been a while since I've seen it. I remember really enjoying it. I loved Adrian Barbeau. I always will love Adrian Barbeau. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's definitely one of those that I heavily enjoy, and I'm very interested to watch it again, but really, really liked it. I love Lauren Hutton, too. So, I mean, I sat through one spitting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, once, okay, funny story about Once Bit, and I'll just say this um, real quick before we move on to the next movie. Um, I loved Once Bit as a kid. I thought it was hilarious. And then I watched it as an adult, and I couldn't even get through it. It was so obnoxious. Like, And that's just really my Once Bit story. Well, I mean, the thing of it is, is it's a little cheesy. It's very 80s. I kind of love it because you have a few um, Friday the 13th, alumni in it um ted from part two and uh terry uh the more demure of the twins from final chapter play two of the vampire lackeys of um lauren hutton plus you also have megan mullally way before she was karen walker on will and grace (laughs) so it's just kind of interesting to see but it's it's just, it's okay. I own it on DVD because every now and then I will toss it in. It's usually one of my sick movies, but yeah, it has nothing to do with John Carpenter, so let's move on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we can move on. Um, so the next movie on our list, um, I'll actually let you cover first because I like this movie, but I definitely know that you like it more than I do, so I'll let you kind of get the running start, and that's The Fog. Oh, The Fog. Okay, that is, like, should be shown in film schools for, like, atmosphere. Because that whole movie is, like, 90% atmosphere. And it's it's a very simplistic story. Ghosts coming back for revenge. But the, the coastal town and the way he shot everything was just so creepy and just unsettling. And I loved certain set pieces, like... Um, the, the 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 babysitter being killed and Adrian Barbeau up on the roof of the lighthouse. I just I, I I think it's it's very good. Is it a masterpiece? No. Is it entertaining? Yes. I mean you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, you've got Tom Atkins, 
and you can never go wrong with Tom Atkins. You've got Nancy Loomis from Halloween, um, Janet Lee. It's just, it's a, it's a very engaging movie and it's very creepy and it's just, it's good to watch, but don't watch the remake because that is a big old pile of dung. Yeah, the remake is really bad. Um, really, the only saving grace of that remake is Selma Blair, who's trying her hardest to make something work out of nothing material. I felt so bad for her watching that movie. But the, but the original is very good. It's one of those movies that I wish I had seen it when I was younger because I think I would have appreciated it more. Um, I saw it only for the first time, maybe, ugh, I don't know, it was whenever it was first released on, on DVD, which was maybe, I don't know, 2002, 2003, something like that, but um, I, I think that I had heard from so many people throughout throughout the years that it was so good, and I just, I really wanted to watch it, and I was a little bit disappointed in my first time, just because I think my expectations were too high. Since that first time watching it, I've really grown an appreciation of for it. Um, like you said, I like the, the cast is phenomenal. You know, just to have all of these people together for one horror movie, it's incredibly atmospheric. As you brought up, uh, just the movie looks gorgeous. It gets a little silly in the final act, um, where I'm just kind of like, oh, I wish they went to show them like this, but. Um, it's it's a very kind of minor complaint on a movie that really holds up very well as as kind of an old fashioned ghost story and and it's it's fun to see it because it's the kind of movie that would never in a million years be made today, which is really sad because there's a lot of really good stuff in it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and it's just it's it's. I just, I just, there was something about it that I, I think it just grabbed onto me right away. And I don't know, but even my friend um, who doesn't really watch a lot of horror movies, he caught it on TV once and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, it's kind of weird because I don't usually like those movies, but I totally got sucked into this one. So it just kind of has that effect maybe. Yeah, it's definitely, I know that we mentioned it on one of our previous shows, but I would kind of put this in kind of the same categories, like Fright Night, where it's it's a movie that might have been made in the 80s, but it's got that spirit of those old school, universal monster type, although this isn't really a monster, but it's got that kind of look and that feel to it, where because it's not immediately set and kind of dated as, you know, oh, this is going to be everything 1980s, it does have that kind of timeless appeal. Yeah, and like Fright Night, it's one of those where I'm sure if you flipped it to black and white, it would be even creepier. Yeah, that would actually be really interesting. I'd I'd be curious to see that. I know um, there is, um, I think it's like Fangoria or something online anyways, Um, they're doing articles about classic horror movies like that where they're making them black and white and watching them and see if they if they work as black and white and fright night was one of them and they showed i was like oh yeah that'll work as black and white so no that'd be awesome i'd be really curious to see that um so yeah the the fog is really good film um 
yeah, I would say that it's definitely worth worth checking out if you haven't yet. If you're listening to your show about John Carpenter, you probably definitely checked it out. Um, so we have a bunch more movies that we want to talk about. Um, we're probably going to go over the half an hour, so we're going to go into the, the the archive. So if you guys are listening to this live, um, you can check out the last 15 minutes afterwards. If you're listening to this already afterwards, there will be no cut, so just keep on listening. Um, so our next film is another one that I'm going to have you start out with first because I, I'm shocked, like, I'm shocked and a little embarrassed to admit that I haven't seen this one in, like, 10 years. Um, so I feel really bad about that because I know it's one of our, our friends' absolute favorite films, um, but that's The Thing. Oh, God, The Thing. I mean, it is such like a staple of any kind of like special effects makeup is the thing. But not only was it a very good example of what they could do with special effects makeup, they had good characters and loads of suspense. And it was just, it was very, I mean, it was isolated and it was, it was very unsettling. And I don't understand why when it first came out, it did not, find an audience because I know it didn't do so well. I think it was just through repeats of like on television and VHS and stuff that it really started picking up steam. But I mean, some of those special effects hold up still today. And you look at like the remake of the thing, it looked dated before the movie even came out because of the CGI. And I know they pulled that crap where they're like, oh, it's 95% practical effects and only 5% CGI. And like I always say, if you cover your 95% practical effects in CGI, it's all going to look like CGI and it's going to look like crap. I saw some of the behind-the-scenes stuff from the remake of the thing, and that the makeup was really good, but then they went over it and ruined it. But the original, a lot of it still stands up. Some of it looks a little hokey, but I mean, there is still a lot. I saw it in the theater recently and you had like, I would say three, maybe four very effective jump scares still to this day, like 30 years later. So it's just, it's, it's, I think it's a phenomenal sci-fi horror. It's one of the best sci-fi horrors. And I just, I think it's one of his best for sure. Yeah, and there, there's a scene in this movie that, although I need to watch the film um, because I don't remember it that much, I remember really liking it for whatever reason. I just haven't watched it recently. But there's a scene in the movie where um, they're kind of all tied up, where they're they're trying to figure out, you know, which one of them is infected with this parasite. And it's so it's so well shot, and it's so suspenseful. And that scene made me jump when I watched it, like, out of my seat, because when it happens, you you think you know when it's going to happen, and it doesn't happen, and then you think you know, and it doesn't happen, and it, he kind of plays that fake out to the point where you get to the point where you're like, well, nothing's going to happen in that scene, and then all of a sudden it happens, and that's kind of that that gradual fake out to the real scare that's kind of missing today. You know, today it would just be like, oh, a door slam shot, or oh, it was just this. But it doesn't it doesn't build up to anything. It's just kind of this fake scare, moving on, fake scare, moving on. Whereas a movie like this, and with a master of horror like 
uh, John Carpenter, he's able to build that into something that's very memorable and very scary. Yep, agreed. So if you haven't seen the thing, go check it out. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, Moving on to the next film on our list. So right now we are talking about all of the best ones. Um, The next one on our list is In the Mouth of Madness. Um, This movie came out um, early 1995. I remember it came out right after Wes Craven's New Nightmare, where it was just kind of this, I guess, In the Mouth of Madness isn't quite as self-referential as Wes Craven's New Nightmare, but it is kind of that, that knowing material where you have this very popular author, and all of a sudden the people that are are reading these books are just going mad and they're going crazy and doing this um, weird shit. And you have Sam Neill, who's who's um, kind of on the case to try to figure out what exactly is going on with this. And I don't want to give too much away for those of you guys who haven't seen this, because there are some interesting twists and stuff that you're not expecting, and the movie doesn't quite take the road that you would kind of think that it would, especially like if you go in um, kind of expecting this to be a misery-type tale, which when I first heard about it, I thought it was going to be something along those lines. It isn't. But I think that if there's one movie on this list that I think is his kind of most underrated film, it's definitely In the Mouth of Madness. It's really well acted. It's well shot. There's a great scene that's kind of, we're talking about scary scenes, but kind of the, a scene with Sam Neill towards the beginning of the movie where someone goes crazy, and that's all I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. But it's it's really it's really suspenseful, and it's really good. But... Uh, yeah, it's just great stuff, and I, it's just, I I highly recommend checking this one out. Absolutely. It is one, like, I, I watched it when it first came out, and I was not a fan, and I just bought it not too long ago on DVD, and I rewatched it. And aside from Julie Carmen's iffy acting in certain scenes, it is so good. I mean, I don't understand why it is not more beloved in the horror community because it is a total like mind fuck of a movie and it's super well done. And it's, I, 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 it's so hard to explain, but there's just something about it. I know I've said that about like every movie, (laughs) but I mean, Sam Neill's a fantastic actor and the idea itself behind it where the book is causing people to go crazy and then they have to go find the author and they end up sort of kind of like in this weird town that's not on any map and there's all these characters from his books living in the town and yeah it's just it's it's so hard to explain but and you have to pay attention which I know a lot of people don't like doing but I love watching it and I've probably watched it I would say four or five times in the last like year and a half because I got it on Blu-ray and I was just like let's just put it in again (laughs) yeah and I think that you know there's one thing about this movie where you know there's kind of this um I don't know there's this myth that before Scream in the 90s there were no good horror films and there are actually a lot of Bullshit. really good horror films. Yeah. And 
before Scream, I, you know, and granted, we talked about Scream many times. We both love Scream. We love kind of the copycat flashers that come out after Scream. But before Scream in the early 90s, there were these movies and the not only just slashers, but horror movies in general that, like them or not, they took a lot of chances and they they kind of weren't just cheap scares. They really kind of made your audience want to pay attention to these characters. We talked about um, a couple weeks ago about Candyman. That's definitely one of them. Where there's no way in hell a horror movie, you know, a, a, I'm sorry, a, a major studio would make a movie that was so dark and so depressing like that today. This is another one, and you can add Wes Craven's Nightmare to the list, where, you know, especially with this movie and New Nightmare, if you brought one of these two scripts to a studio, they'd be like, well, no, audiences aren't going to understand this. Audiences aren't going to care. And because I think horror was dead, um, studios just kind of wanted to make horror movies, and they were willing to take chances on films like this. So I, I kind of miss that, where, you know, where you do kind of have this kind of, this kind of, I guess, barren area where there's not a lot of horror, but the horror that you do get on occasion is actually really good because there, there's more chances taken over with the material. Oh, absolutely. I would also throw, like, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight in there because even mm-hmm. if it was, like, a hugely successful, like, a Walking Dead movie, they would never make a Walking Dead movie where it's just like, okay, we're going to take it. And we're going to do a whole new story. <laughs> like, and I know that was like the whole stick of Tales from the Crypt as a separate story, but they would never make a movie like that because that movie is so off the wall and just insane that I have a feeling the studios would just look at it and be like, no. And then there's like From Dust Till Dawn and The Craft and like all these other just like really good movies that came out before Scream, and I, yeah, people are idiots when they say there was no good 90s horror movies. 90s didn't have any good horror movies. Ugh. Or another one kind of worth taking chances that we can talk about more next week, um, I would definitely add the people under the stairs to that list. So, like, can you imagine Universal today releasing this wide-release film that has to do with S&M and incest and kids getting abused? Like... Nope. Nope. And especially because, I mean, the major theme of that is kind of like, I mean, and it holds up today, especially with like a lot of um, the whole like the evil rich white people and like just the, the, the what's going on in the world nowadays and how it just seems everything is kind of going amok and there's we're basically like kind of on the brink of a race war, even though I just, sorry, political there for a second, but I mean, it it still stands up today with what no, it I is. No, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah, just having a hard on, time to uh, try. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm right having a hard you. time I, trying I to verbalize it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, kind of moving on to kind of some of the other movies on our list. Um, we have Christine. We have The the Jealous Killer Car. Really well done. Um, it's really silly. I don't know so much that it holds up. Um, it's got a really good score, though. I like the cast. It's kind of a fun slasher where kind of the car is the villain. But 
there's not really much to say, I think, about this one. It, it's it's a good movie, but nothing that... I mean, there's nothing necessarily about this movie that I would say, oh, yeah, that's definitely a John Carpenter film. Yeah. Um, it, it, I always forget that it's a John Carpenter film, to tell you the truth. I haven't seen it in forever, and I just have no real rest to go do it. Yeah, I'm kind of right Killer there with you. Killer just aren't my thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Um, so moving on, um, Body Bags is kind of this failed anthology that was supposed to air on Showtime. Um, his first story in this, which takes place in... Um, so, yeah, it was a failed anthology. This was um, supposed to be a TV show that was much like um, Tales from the Crypt. It didn't end up making it, so they took the three episodes that they had made and just kind of crammed them all together. And you got John Carpenter hamming it up as this um, um, guy who works at the morgue, and he's kind of the crypt keeper, and he directs the first segment, which takes place in this kind of, um, I guess, almost abandoned um, uh, gas station out in the middle of nowhere. And it's a really good suspense tale. It's really good. Um, the other two stories, meh, not so much. Um, so another yeah. one on our list. Uh, <laughs> nothing to add to that one. <laughs> nope. Just there. <laughs> uh, another one on the list that I think it's got um, has kind of an unfair um, reputation, and I think it has to do with the cast because it's got um, uh, Christy Alley and Christopher Reeve, and it is the Village of the Dam remake. This is actually, um, I think, is one of John Carpenter's best-looking films. The script has some problems that doesn't quite, some of it doesn't quite make sense. The movie is very atmospheric, though. It looks great. It's got a nice tone. The score is eerie. I just, this is kind of one of those, the few remakes that I think is really interesting and really holds up well. And I, I wish that it kind of got more respect than what it does because I think it's a lot better than the reputation would have you believe. Agreed. I really enjoy, um, I know it's been a while, again, since I've seen this, not as long as Christine, but um, I, I, I rewatched it and I forgot how much I liked it. Um, I can get past uh, Christopher Reeve and Christy Alley because I've seen Christy Alley in roles other than comedies. So I know she doesn't mm-hmm. do a whole lot of them, but I mean, it's it wasn't that big of a stretch, and I really enjoyed her in this movie. And I mean, if if you can't move past the cast, then I feel kind of bad for you because you kind of have to you have to do that with a lot of movies. But um, yeah, there's just it's it's a good one, and I would recommend it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So we kind of have time. We have like two minutes left to talk about um, really his last film, um, and that's The Ward. Um, I wish The Ward is one of those movies that I watched it going into it. So it takes place in a mental institution. It looks good. The acting's pretty decent. If you watched one kind of mental institution movie, um, you know there's going to be a twist ending, and it's going to be one of two things. This is one of those two things. There's not a lot of surprises. Everything about this movie is not so much terrible as it feels very by the numbers. 
I don't hate it. I feel like people were more um, vehemently against it because of the fact that it was John Carpenter as opposed to just some, if it wouldn't have been directed, it's kind of like my soul to take with Wes Craven. If it wasn't directed by one of these masters of horror, then people would not treat it as badly as it does. Also, I'm throwing a shout out to the eyes of Laura Mars. I know he wrote it. I know he doesn't like the way they took his script and kind of went somewhere, but it's awesome. And I love it. And that's another John Carpenter movie. I definitely recommend. <laughs> I need to watch that one. I, I think I've like, I'm pretty sure I've seen most of it before. I don't remember it. I think it's one of those movies that I watched as a kid. Um, I own it on DVD and I'm going to finish, um, Oh, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Prince of Darkness. Um, it's really good. I've only, I'm only halfway through it, but I really like what I've seen so far. And maybe I'll watch Eyes of Laura and Mars after it's that. It's one of his best. <laughs> yes. Uh, do a whole, yeah. Awesome. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we got through a lot of movies. We'll be back next week talking.